and welcome to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Mintel, the relationship doctor, and I'm here along with my co-host, Chris Weigel, and every weekend we're here, we're doing life together, and we're so glad you've joined us. Dr. Linda, as you know, we have a youngster in the house, little guy running around, Matthew. Yeah, you have a few. Of a few of them, yeah, but, <laughs> but the youngest, however, yeah. asked me the other day, he said, when are we going to see Dr. Linda and the other Dr. <laughs> Linda who's a man? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that's great. They're not in the studio, but they're close by the studio. That's right. So Mm -hmm. they they do see us coming and going. Okay, I'm feeling like I should identify as a Dr. Linda today. (laughs) That's right. Well, listen, Chris, I have a story. I'm going to start with a story. Okay. So there was a man who was employed by a boss whose wife decided to make a play for him sexually. The man refused. This really angered the wife. So much so that she went to her husband with a false accusation. Hmm. Spurred by that rejection, she told her husband that the employee tried to come on to her sexually. The employer believed his wife. He thought, why would she make something like this up? So he charged the employee with a crime and sent him to jail. Do you remember that story in the news? Hold on, I'm flipping through. No, but I see it in the uh, Old Testament. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like the story of Potiphar's wife and Joseph. It is. It is that story. And, you know, we can learn a lot from that story in terms of how to respond when we are falsely accused, which is our topic on today's program. Yeah, obviously, this is an old issue, as old as the Bible time, Mm, right? Right. So this is something that people have had to deal with for centuries, literally. And it's somewhat resurfaced in a new way in our culture I mean, people can virtually say anything Mm. that they want to say on social media, accuse you of anything, and actually have no consequences for that. And the thing is, social media is a big problem, but it's not just social media. It happens in the news media when they rush to conclusions about getting us the facts. Mm -hmm. And then when the story turns out not to be true, you might see a retraction, generally a small retraction, uh, either in print or on the radio or TV. And, And sometimes they just blow it off and don't say anything. When they get ahead of the story, they can destroy the reputation of people. That has been more of a problem, don't you think, in recent Mm. years than it was in the past? Well, there's this 24-hour news cycle that we Mm -hmm. hear about, and there's such a rush to get the information out there. I think the gatekeepers, if you will, are just letting stuff go. And it seems like they want to accuse people of things. Mm. I mean, I guess because maybe that makes better news, in their opinion, (laughs) if you can tell the terrible and the negative about people. But combining the way the media has changed and then with social media, and that's the one that really bothers me, because you can go on social media and accuse people of all kinds of things. It's happened to me. Mm. Honestly, when somebody doesn't like my position on something or I'm getting kind of deep into their life on an issue, they'll accuse me of being this horrible person Mm -hmm. and... You know, all kinds of things. And there's really not very much you can do about it. And then you have the idea of the video stuff that people put out. You see all these stories where they're sort of walking by, somebody pulls out their phone, Mm -hmm. and then they show like one part of that, which looks like the person is totally guilty, but you don't see the context of where that video was shot. So I think that capturing video and then posting the video and not having the whole story being told is another one of those problems. I found a number of websites that list the most notable people People in history who have been falsely accused. And this starts back in the 1600s. Well, there were people falsely convicted for murders and other crimes, but thanks to recent DNA and other forensics, these people have been exonerated. I can't imagine how that must have been to sit in prison for all all of those years, knowing you didn't do anything. 
And, uh, and then we also think of Joseph, and, and there was no forensic evidence for him. That's right. Do you ever listen to those those forensic files on uh, the radio? See, my mom is into that stuff. I, well, right. I just hear it on my way home from work, mm-hmm. and they're fascinating the way they're done. Mm-hmm. But it is a lot of times based on the DNA that people get off, and right. they find out that they were falsely accused. And, you know, when you talk about Joseph, and, you know, we're kind of joking, there was no forensic evidence back then, but Potiphar's wife repeated that lie about Joseph, and she made herself look like a really virtuous woman in that case. Maybe you have Mm -hmm. been falsely accused by family members or friends or people that you care about, or maybe even the church or ministry leaders have accused you of something. And I tell you, when that happens and you know it isn't true, it's it's very hurtful. And those are the worst if they come from the church. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, of all places, we should, we're not supposed to act like that right. in church. But, right. You know, false accusations in personal relationships really do hurt that relationship. And did you deal with this in your, your practice over the years? Actually, it happens a lot in couples therapy and sometimes in family therapy where people are accused of things that they they never did. And it's really painful to watch. And it's hard to walk through that when you know what the accusation is simply not true. You feel terrible, even ashamed. It's a helpless feeling because you're guilty mm. and condemned, but you're not really guilty. It can cause a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, bitterness, unforgiveness, keeping offenses and doubt, and a whole lot more. So it's very destructive to relationships when it happens. And the right thing to do is address the problem with that person, confront them one-on-one, talk to the person who is spreading the accusation. That would be the best, right? But of course, um, in some cases, you can't face your accuser because it is either done online and you might not know who the accuser is, Mm -hmm. or that person, if you did accuse them, it might be unsafe. So there's a, a lot of you listening who may be thinking, I've been accused of things, but it might require some legal involvement or there might be violence or abuse or something else that would be involved that would make it difficult to confront that abuser. And you're going to need some help in those cases with how to manage that. The emotional reaction, though, is difficult, as we said, because of the powerlessness you feel in those situations. You know, Chris, when I think about Joseph, I think, what did he feel, Mm. you know, when he was sitting there and she was doing all this and saying all these things? That's right, because as we read the story, the story might take five or ten minutes to read, but... This was extended for him. He sat, Mm -hmm. you know, what did I do? How do I get out of this? So he did have a lot of time to think about that, and that must really hurt. And when couples wrongly accuse each other of having an affair or acting inappropriately, you know, it's usually based on some kind of old wound or some type of trauma that they experienced in their own childhood or Mm. in previous relationship. And, And here's the problem. When that happens, you can't really defend yourself when something is made up because you can't provide evidence because it didn't happen. So it's very, very tough. And if they've had some kind of wounding in their past and they're being triggered by that wounding, even if you say, look, I didn't do that, a lot of times they just won't believe you. And if you act defensively, if you try to defend yourself, that seems like it would be a normal reaction, but can that make things worse? It usually does. But then on the other hand, if you don't say anything, it can look like you're guilty. So sometimes the other person also doesn't want to hear the truth. They're wanting to believe that maybe this terrible thing happened because then it might explain some of their behavior. I think in our everyday living, making false accusations, whether they're big or small, can really, really damage a relationship. So you need to really think twice before you say anything, especially if it's gossiping type of behavior and you're accusing somebody of something. We talked about addressing this with the person in mm-hmm. person. In Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, tell us to do that, to go to the person. Even if you do this, the person may not respond well. I mean, 
Joseph didn't have a whole lot of success with Potiphar's wife. No, it didn't seem to change her mind. Did right. It? And usually that's because somebody has great insecurity or they lack trust or they want something to, uh, they want to manipulate something. That's mm-hmm. kind of behind it a lot of times too. So accusations can really fly when a person feels threatened, when they don't have the conflict skills to go to the person and check things out before coming to a conclusion. And we mentioned insecurity, but that really gets reinforced because of a lack of trust and fear that the person will be hurt again. Or in Potiphar's wife's case, uh, she wanted someone and was denied. And so that's how she hurt him back. So uh, what do we do when this happens? The first thing is to try to find out what led to the accusation. Mm. If you can find that out, which means you have to bring up the issue. You have to ask the person what they actually said about you. And, you know, it isn't always easy to do. In your book, We Need to Talk, you've talked about how to deal with this type of conflict. It is healthy to confront the accuser if there isn't any danger involved in doing that. But you have to be very calm. You have to be willing to listen. You have to be able to give your side of the story. And when you're falsely accused, most of us get really angry. So staying calm is really necessary, but it's really hard to do. Isn't it easier just to avoid the person and write them off? I think it is, but it's not biblical. So sometimes the easiest way isn't the biblical way. Mm. Nothing gets solved when you do that. You carry around resentment towards that person. That resentment can lead to bitterness. So here's the most important point about this. You can't control what other people do and say about you. So we, we agree with that, right? We right. can't control that. That's not something we're going to have control over. But what we can control is our reaction and our response to them. And that's exactly what we're looking at with Joseph. He could not control what Potiphar's wife did to him and actually what Potiphar ended up doing to him. So each of us is ultimately responsible for how we handle ourselves, how we respond, and that's really the focus we want to go to. And as we've said, the challenge is to do that in a godly way. Stay with us here on the Dr. Linda Mental Show as we go to a short break. More on how to respond to false accusations. The other night, I had an interesting conversation with friends at dinner. We were talking about the idea that Bible stories were not just nice stories, but they were there to help us relate to difficulties when they come. Now, I know this wasn't exactly a new thought. I know we know this. But how often do we think about what we are going through and actually place our life stories in the context of those Bible stories? So here's what we did. We took turns and we related a current issue that we were each having to a specific Bible story. Then we used those stories to encourage one another. So for example, one of my friends had a relationship with his boss that felt a lot like David's relationship with Saul. One moment the boss was praising him and giving him assignments. The next moment, the fiery spears would fly. Like David, he trusted God for his tomorrow. He often wondered about the timing of God's intervention, but trusted that God was working on his behalf and the plans God had for him were good. Another friend related to Joseph. She was in a job, unappreciated, and felt thrown to the side while others ascended and were promoted. She could really relate to being in the prison of neglect and rejection, hoping and praying that the king, the boss, would remember her and release her from false charges that caused the rejection. Like Joseph, she believed God would restore what was lost. By the end of the dinner, we were laughing and smiling. Life may have thrown us a few curves, but we were determined to react to those curves like the people of faith who went before us. So the next time you need a little encouragement, hey, grab that Bible storybook and think about the lessons we teach our children. Those stories aren't just for kids. They can really encourage us, too. 
Welcome back to the Dr. Linda Mental Show, and today's topic is falsely accused, how to respond when someone lies about you. But before we continue, remember to check out Dr. Linda's website, drlindamental.com, and that's where you will find her blogs, books, and you can connect on social media. And Dr. Linda has a new book out called Living Beyond Pain that helps anyone living with pain get their life back. It's available online and where books are sold. And relevant to today's topic is her book, We Need to Talk, which helps with difficult confrontations and conflicts. Well, Dr. Linda, in the first segment, we talked about the story uh, from the Old Testament of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Mm -hmm. Potiphar's wife was the false accuser, and Joseph suffered, yet Joseph's response is the impressive part of this story. Yeah, Joseph did suffer. He suffered tremendously. Mm -hmm. And so we do have a model here in the Bible of how to address this type of thing when it happens to us. The Apostle Peter, Chris, warns us that in 1 Peter 2.20-23, through 23, that this kind of suffering is likely to happen to Christian believers. Mm-hmm. I know we don't want to hear that, right. but here's what it says. If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's pretty straightforward there. (laughs) And that's hard to do, isn't it? I mean, Jesus was able to do it. But, you know, it's interesting about that. Joseph didn't have Jesus as an example. Mm, True. He was a God's example in and of himself. That's pretty amazing. We should look at the example of Jesus, who, of course, did no wrong. But he still suffered. Right. And I'm thinking of many Christians around the world sitting in prisons today, accused of crimes that they did not commit. I know. And we certainly have heard a lot of that type of persecution in the news. But looking at the story of Joseph, there's no indication that he was given any opportunity to explain his side of the story. Mm. He had to listen to what Potiphar's wife said, and then he was sentenced as a result of that. But our nature, I think, wants to protest. I always want to give my side of the story. (laughs) I'm really like, well, wait, let me tell you, but let me tell you what really happened. So I would have been so bothered by that if I was Joseph, and I would have wanted to lash out, Mm. and that's not what Joseph did. Jesus didn't do that at all. I know. He didn't do that either, did he? Uh, He didn't lash back out, or he, he didn't threaten anyone. I know. He kept really quiet, and he entrusted himself to God, the righteous judge. And Paul also says, beloved... Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That is not easy advice. It's not. It's not something we see in the culture either, Mm. is it? So what's the advice? Let go and and trust God? That's what the Bible is telling us to do, right? Mm, Yes. And let God be the judge, which is, I think it's just really hard. But if you have the confidence that God will deal with it fairly and justly in the end, and I guess that's Mm. where we have to put our focus, right? Right. That eventually God will deal with that person. And we need to be careful in that process to not see ourselves as victims, and again, this is so counter the culture that we live in where we're all victimized by something and mm. people are suing people for, you know, spilling coffee that's too hot and all kinds of uh, things. But Jesus never played that card. He tells us to go to someone, try to work it out privately, which that again, because of social media, we're seeing more less and less of that happening. Mm-hmm. Only if that fails, should we get another person involved. And if that fails, go to someone in the church, try to work it out. So Jesus' strategy is really about containment 
which is the opposite of putting things on social media and responding publicly to all these microaggressions that we hear. Microaggressions. From Microaggressions, you know, you get upset about every little thing and people accuse you of all kinds of things. We're constantly getting accused in our culture of offending people Mm -hmm. for things that we really didn't intend or that we didn't mean to say. And yet we're not supposed to react to that in a way that is not godly. And even if we fail miserably trying to respond like Jesus, God doesn't throw you out. Look at David. That's true. So David was guilty of murder, adultery, deceit, Mm -hmm. and God didn't destroy him. But he did send the prophet Nathan to warn him of the consequences of what he had done. So God clearly forgives those who do make false accusations, but there are some consequences to that. But let's go back to the story of how Joseph persevered with a false accusation, because I think that's the part that we're really trying to apply to our lives today. Listen to this from Genesis. The Lord was with Joseph, showed him steadfast love, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Despite the accusation, God saw him as trustworthy in Potiphar's house and in the prison. Right. So God knew his heart, right? God knew that he was falsely accused. And the message was, though, that God was with him. God had not forgotten him and was still involved in his life. And that's so important to remember because God was training him, even in prison, for a much bigger role. I know. We don't like to think like that. We don't like to think that when we're (laughs) suffering, we're going through something that seems really difficult because somebody maybe lied about us or had some kind of vendetta against us. We don't like to think that God could even be using that Hmm. as a training ground for some things that he might be going to do in us and use in us. And instead, you have to think how Joseph made the best of that situation. He didn't give in to destructive emotions of self-pity. He didn't get bitter. He wasn't angry because of his situation. He was really able to rise above his circumstances. And he continued to believe the promise God had over his life. I think that was really the key. God had made him a promise, and he continued to believe God. But he must have thought, how, how long is this going to go on? Right. But I think the reason we don't hear a lot of complaint from Joseph is he trusted God's timing, and he knew he had to wait for his release, and it didn't come quickly. I know waiting is really hard when you're in the middle of suffering. Yeah, that stinks. The psalm speaks to us, and we know that waiting builds our character. Endurance produces character that generates a hope that will not let us down. So there is a clear connection between endurance, character, reliance on God that we may legitimately read back into the life of Joseph. This is challenging because it is, like you said earlier, so opposite of what culture says to do. Go get the person, clear your name, get revenge, and make them pay. But we are called to a different standard. That's right. Well, Dr. Linda, after the short break, let's talk more about how we can manage our emotions when falsely accused. Well, the other day I was cut off the road by a driver. Everything in me wanted to yell, hey, watch out. But I restrained myself, knowing that yelling at the driver would not do much good. And really, it wasn't the best way to deal with my anger. You know, anger easily rises up in most of us. And while anger is a natural emotion, we need to deal with it the right way. So it's not wrong to be angry, but how you deal with your anger is what counts. The Bible tells us, be angry, but do not sin. 
So what is the biblical way to handle anger? This is a question I answer in my short and easy book to read, Breaking Free from Anger and Unforgiveness. This small book has sold over 130,000 copies. It's because of how practical and helpful it is to everyday living. So if you want to be angry, but not sin, practice what scripture teaches us. Breaking Free from Anger and Unforgiveness is available on my website, drlindamintel.com. That's drlindamintel.com and also available online where books are sold. You're listening to the Dr. Linda Mental Show, and Dr. Linda has written numerous books that you can find on her website and online. Her latest is Living Beyond Pain. It's a book to help anyone living with pain get their life back with practical tools that are not related to taking drugs. Check out her website, drlindamental.com, and that's where you can connect on social media. And don't forget about the podcasts on iTunes. And related to today's topic, Dr. Linda wrote the book, We Need to Talk, to help you navigate conflict. Of course, today's topic is how to respond when falsely accused. And Dr. Linda, it's easy to become anxious and panicked when someone lies about you. So like Joseph, it would be really important to remember when that happens that your life isn't ruined, even if it feels that way at Mm. the moment, right? Right. I get very upset when this happens to me because I'm big into justice, as Norm knows. But it's a perspective that you have to put on. You have to listen to what you're saying to yourself. Don't think that this is catastrophic or that if you do start to think, oh my gosh, this is going to ruin my life. I can't do anything about it. It's terrible. And you don't put some trust in God at that time, that's going to amplify the stress that you already feel from the accusation. You need to say to yourself, you can deal with this with God's help. And the key is to trust your reputation to God. And you know, Joseph at this point had already been thrown in a hole by his brothers. I know. I <laughs> know. He's such he an example it. here. You know? Yeah, he really, he had to deal a lot with false right. problems and yeah. accusations. Well, should you try to keep addressing every accusation? Because it seems like with some people, <laughs> this could be a full-time job. I know. If you do, you're going to be consumed by this. So right. lots of people have trust issues based on their past. Perhaps some have old hurts or fears that are getting activated or what we call triggered sometimes. Just take a deep breath, stay in prayer, examine your heart and realize that this is about them, not about you. Know who you are. You know, Joseph knew he had a promise from God, Chris, and Mm. and he had a promise about his future. And he wasn't going to let anyone else deter him or define him. And it's normal to get angry and push Mm -hmm. back when someone falsely accuses you, but the anger can take over. So we need to remember that scripture that says, be angry, but do not sin. So anger is clearly acknowledged in scripture as a real emotion that rises up when something like this happens. But the challenge here is to feel the anger, not sin in your response to it. And this often takes great control. That's only possible sometimes by the Holy Spirit that is operating in you. And it is safe to take your anger to God and cry out to him. So Psalm 5, let's listen to that. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you and wait in expectations. You destroy those who tell lies. Mm. It's right there in Psalm. You destroy those who tell lies. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men of the Lord abhors. The psalmist David says there are many who rise up against him. So like you said, this can, as a Christian, this can come in from all directions. All directions. And his response is to remember that the Lord is a shield. 
the Lord hears David's cries when he asks for help and he listens to what the Lord says. So he tells us, cry out to the Lord. And in Psalm 4, 3, that reminds us the Lord will hear when I call on him. He hears you in your distress. But remember that you're not alone and that God is aware of what's going on with you. We just talked about not sinning in anger and putting our trust in God. So Psalm 4 says, meditate, be still, put your trust in God, sit quietly before the Lord, and allow him to direct your thoughts and actions. Ask for wisdom in terms of what to do, but meditate with your heart on your bed and be still. Now, these are very prescriptive, aren't they? You notice how prescriptive these Mm. are, how we're supposed to handle all of this? It's right there in the psalm. You know, another example, Dr. Linda, from the Old Testament is Nehemiah. When he was trying to build that wall, he was getting it from every direction, people accusing him of of everything. And really bad intentions. Mm, But listen to his reply in verse 8. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. (laughs) So he's addressing it. He's confronting it, right? (laughs) You are just making it up out of your head. That's what it says in Scripture. Mm -hmm. So he addresses the false accusations. But then in Nehemiah 6, 9 through 10, he says, they, and he's referring to the enemies, Mm -hmm. were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands, O Lord. So he goes right to the people and he says, nope not going to deter us. (laughs) You know, accusations can distract us if we let them. And I've never thought of it like this, but it can be a way to keep us from doing the things God has for us if we get all, you know, embroiled in accusations. So Nehemiah might not have built the wall. Right. If he had listened to all those people around him. Well, think of how many ministry opportunities we may not be a part of if we let this stuff get to us. That's right. So as hard as it is, don't let someone's false words or hurtful actions derail you from fulfilling God's promises, his purposes in your life, and whatever calling you have on your life. That was one of the messages of Joseph. It was a message also from Nehemiah we just talked about. God was with Joseph in the lowest point of his life, in the darkest place, in that prison, God reassures us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Not at your lowest point, not at any point in your life. Mm. Bible commentator Matthew Henry says, a good man will do good wherever he is. And so out of Joseph's life in that prison, he developed a remarkable ministry. Mm, Right. The blessing of God was on Joseph. And wherever Joseph went, he brought that blessing with him. If God allows us to face false accusations... Let's reach out to others who suffer the same injustices and maybe help guide them along the journey from the things Mm. that we're learning even in this conversation today. So let me close with this. First, Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. So there will be a day of vindication for those who have been falsely accused and wrongfully imprisoned. One day, those who spread false accusations and lies will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Before him, all hearts are open and no secret is hidden. All wrongs will eventually be made right. So rest in that assurance. Well, that's all the time we have today. Many thanks to our producer, Norm Mintel, our engineer, and my co-host, Chris Weigel, who makes the show a conversation. From all of us here at Faith Radio, we'll talk to you next weekend. In the meantime, remember, we're doing life together, and it's better when you don't have to do it alone. Well, thanks for listening to this conversation from the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. 
These podcasts are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and helping us grow the impact of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Also, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player, and you'll never miss a show.